When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK and the Thursday Club is back for its first show of the year. Peter's pros, Jack with the facts and then me trying to hold it all together. Loads to discuss today, a Bristol City FA Cup third round preview. Peter's got the fixture calendar out and it is very intense to say the least. And we've got some more of your emails including everyone's new favorite section this will catch on and let me tell you the main thing that's caught on is this segment of the podcast we get so many emails with chart suggestions now it's basically all the inbox is so we'll be working through those towards the end of the show let me introduce my guest for today though back for a new year peter rutzler hello Hey, Sammy. How you doing? We're fine, thank you. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Happy New Year. I'll carry on with my catchphrase as it is the done thing now. I did set you up there. Yeah. Catchphrase is really useful, mate. Yeah, you say hello, listeners. I say fine, thank you. That's the uh, that's the way it's done round here. Well, first of all, let me just say happy new year to you both, Peter. I'll start with you. Did you have a nice Christmas break? Uh, a, a much extended holiday for you, given that Fulham didn't play any football matches. Yeah, uh, a lot less travel and uh, need to go to games. That was quite nice, quite strange. Um, no Boxing Day game was very odd. But yeah, in general, it was fine. Still had to try and write something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the longer this goes on, the harder it gets. But no, yeah, it's been, it's been good. What did I get? I didn't get anything exciting for Christmas. Got a garlic press, which I'm very happy with. I thought you were going to say garlic bread there. I really yeah, did. Oh, no, I, I mean, that, that, yeah, that would be underwhelming. But um, we'd definitely recommend it, the garlic press. A thing. garlic press? What? Like it, crush, it crushes garlic. You don't even have to take the, the, the skin off the clove. It just... It's unbelievable. Which means you'd have to take the skin off the clove. You don't. You put it in the little thing where it gets crushed, and then you squeeze it together. Okay. I thought he was just going to say like something that chopped garlic. I was like, isn't that about fifty p from IKEA? I still think it might still be fifty p from IKEA. I don't know, but either Uh, way, it's it's. You should. I think you still meant to take the skin off, mate. No, you don't. You don't have to. You don't because you take it. You can take it out after. It says I can the see that. I can see what the beauty would be. I mean, is it that big a problem in your life? I mean, I feel like maybe you must well, have no, your I life didn't... sorted if a gar- if if chopping garlic and and taking the skin off was the biggest issue that you had. Hey, it was it was it's, it's the a thing that's had the biggest issue. impact on my life. Put it that way. Didn't uh, I see think it's it completely fair enough. But I would point you in the direction of those little jars of just pre-bought, you know, garlic that you could. Just... Oh no, I'll do that. Look, you must get you frozen what? packs of it. Uh, no, no, that's a bit much. But it's just these jars of just like pre pre chopped garlic that just really did change my life in terms of like if you're cooking like a big meal, obviously, and and you're you're trying to impress, obviously you're not using them. But for day to day, day to day, chucking them in a pasta, absolutely perfect. Really does save time. 
Um, Jack, did you get any um, other exciting Christmas presents? Um, what did I get? I got a toolbox um, to try and put some neat like things up in my new house. So Very good. Very excited about that. Um, That's a present after my own heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not, mine's not quite uh, the the job that you had to do on yours, Sammy. But um, yeah, I, I was I was pleased. Um, now I can get on with with doing bits and bobs around the flat. So that's nice. I'm pretty happy. Got a new, got a new coat and a toolbox. This is growing up, isn't it? This is becoming old. That is a good Christmas haul, in my opinion. I mean, I've got plenty left on the renovation, Jack. If you want to pop round and uh, I don't know, hang some doors for me, then uh, then you're very welcome. All uh, right, let's get into everything that happened over Christmas. And, and Peter, it really was such a disrupted. Christmas was a completely disrupted Christmas. It was completely thrown out the window, really. And we were chatting earlier on the group about fixtures. Um, You've got an article that's out today, kind of looking at Fulham's schedule between now and the end of the season. And it's hectic, hectic to say the least. Yeah, it's going to get tighter. Um, yeah, it's obviously it's been a, a difficult few days, and I think it's all the more frustrating when all the games have been postponed and it's not your own fault. Um, with all three games, it's been the opposition teams, and yeah, it's a bit of bad luck. And I know there's there is some questions about transparency in terms of knowing COVID cases and particularly injuries. Um, I myself think there should there should be at least some kind of publishing of numbers. Um, just so it's if for one thing it stops the speculation because you know the one thing that comes out when you start linking the two between cases and injuries, which happened with the Reading game, um, is that you can draw two and two together. But there are so many different elements to it. Um, of course, you can have if you don't have any keepers available, then that can postpone a game. So all this means for Fulham is that the the schedule for now onwards is going to get proper proper tight. And actually, obviously we talk about the Bristol City game, but when you look at what progressing in the FA Cup might mean. Um, it seems less appealing because it, it gives less room for manoeuvre. Um, I've looked at the rough the gaps. And when I say gaps, it's like, is there a gap in a week? So a midweek um, space for a game. And I've made out eight clear ones. Now there's loads of different elements to it, but eight that, that aren't uh, interrupted by uh, either a fiction that's already scheduled or an international break that could happen, which we'll talk about as well. Between those... Um, eight sounds fine, but then you factor in the Swansea game and it's seven. And then if you progress to the fourth round of the FA Cup, it's six. Fifth round, it's five. And then the Blackpool game, of course, at the end of January, looks likely to be postponed. It's a non-European international break, as we've talked about before. If Fulham have three, more than three players called up, then they can request to postpone it. I think there was, we've, we've sort of talked about whether, whether Fulham would postpone it and we'll see what, see what happens. Because I imagine if, if there are more postponements to come, then suddenly it becomes a different question. But then we're looking at four gaps. I mean, four gaps. And we're not talking about, you know, uh, a weekend here. We're talking three game weeks. So um, it could get very tight and very testy. So, yeah. And looking at the calendar that's up on your piece, that's on the Athletic, a lot of those gaps come in the final three or four weeks of the season. So we could be talking about a situation where Fulham are a game or two behind looking at, promotion ideally going right to the end of the season really because the gaps now between now and April are pretty much non-existent because of you know Swansea's going to take one if Blackpool takes one if one team gets to the fourth round of the FA Cup it doesn't matter if we get knocked out if Middlesbrough go through yeah it, it seems like there isn't 
genuinely isn't space for rearranged games as far as I can tell from what you've drawn out until April. Yeah, I mean, January, February is going to be really busy. Um, and I think maybe there'll be a question that when we get to the Blackpool game, you, you might want to take that break just to give the players a break because I think fundamentally you're going to have to have a fit squad. And if you are playing catch-up, which Fulham will do, uh, for Bournemouth, who play two more games, Blackburn have played two more games, um, then that's that is going to have an impact. It will change the dynamic of the season. It could change the dynamic of this window in particular. Um, this one, they're going to need bodies. They're going to need players fit, um, especially when there isn't that same same time to recovery. Now, of course, it's a championship, and you know that we're used to free game weeks. But I think this adds another element. And I think the big question. Um, is just if there are more postponements. I think that's kind of the, I think as it is now, it's probably manageable. Um, but if there's more, then it becomes quite, quite, quite tough. Yeah. I mean, Jack, if Fulham get an outbreak. Yeah. This is the thing, isn't it? This then is the, it the suddenly could get really, really messy. Well, this is the problem with, with what happens here because you've now set a precedent. It just doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing because we've had to deal with what we've had to deal with, right? It's not anyone's fault and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately we're looking at uh, an issue now where if Fulham have their own outbreak, they have to be afforded the same treatment as everyone else, um, which means that games can't be cancelled, there they can't be any forfeits, all the above. Fulham can, within their rights, demand games to be moved and pushed towards the end of the season. I am just deeply concerned that we're going to end up with real fixture congestion and it's going to end up being you know, a real slog at the end of the season. So... It is what it is, right? We, at the moment, we, we we are in a world, in this economy, um, that is, it does feel like you have to kind of just roll with the punches a little bit. Um, and it's going to be the same in, in many ways for everyone, not in terms of Fulham's fixture list. Obviously, people will have lighter and heavier schedules depending on how, how things look. But, you know, we, we kind of have to kind of roll with it a bit because this is just the way of the world at the moment. And, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yes, I agree in terms of transparency, but it's all behind us now, right? It, it is that the Reading game was, was called off and I have questions too. But ultimately, you, you look at it and go, well, it's done now. There's no point crying over spilt milk. We've just got to move on and move forward. And look, the last time Fulham had a run of games in a row after an extended break, we did really well out of them. So, you know, we we can look at it that way as well and say, can we build this momentum? Can we get ourselves into that groove again that where we we feel like we're unstoppable? Because if we can, maybe this will be a positive, a big break, and then a run of fixtures where Fulham just feel like all the momentum is with us and, and we're moving in the right direction. Yes, is it going to be tough? Is it going to be grueling? Sure. 100%. But if we can use that as a, as a positive energy and, and, and kind of harness maybe the fact that it feels a bit unfair in some ways that we've, we've been forced to play so many games and use that as a kind of positive energy, then, then perhaps it will be something that works in our favour as well. Uh, moving on from the fixture chaos, which I imagine we'll be touching on um, pretty much for the rest of the season, if that is how it pans out, which it looks that way. Um, some unexpected news yesterday from Full and Peter, uh, the collaboration with Dundee United. Uh, very important that people say Dundee United. I saw quite a lot yesterday of people saying, oh, there's a collaboration with Dundee. Very different. Dundee, Dundee United, two literally different football clubs um, that play down the road. Um, two from closest each other. stadiums in the UK, Sammy. Yeah, I'd, I'd one day love to go there and experience Dundee for myself. And maybe that's more likely now that there's an unexpected partnership synergy between Fulham and Dundee United. Uh, I didn't see this one coming, Peter. Um, sounded like from what you tweeted that 
you maybe saw it going down this road because Fulham's academy has been looking to transition post Brexit. It's not as easy as it was to um, trade with our European partners, etc. I sound like Boris Johnson then, um, but now this collaboration between Fulham and Dundee United means that we might be expecting quite a lot of player progression uh, between the two. Yeah, I'm still trying to work out the nuts and bolts of what the collaboration means. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like an affiliation in the sense that you know, players, one's a parent, one's a feeder. Um, it sounds like uh, a partnership. And when you look at Dundee United and what they've done, and I, I would definitely recommend uh, reading a piece by Jordan Campbell, which is on the Athletic. Um, he spoke to some of the uh, the guys behind the scenes in their academy uh, and talked about the work that they've been doing. Um, and in that piece, he talks about how they've been involved in the International Youth Methodological Board, which is a group of exclusive clubs, which includes Leipzig, Maribor, Braga, Villarreal, uh, Parma. And basically, they share ideas, they share coaching methods, and which is what was sort of mentioned um, in the in in the public statements that were made by by both clubs that you know. They want to share to there to be player exchanges or coaching exchanges. Matches have been arranged between the clubs. Um, and that's an ideas thing. And, and, and Dundee United are, are really interesting in that they really want to focus their long-term progression on the basis of their academy. They want to produce a lot of top Champions League players is what they their sort of their longer-term ambition is. Um, so I can really see why, why Fulham have looked to a club like Dundee United, which on the face of it, you wouldn't naturally assume that there would be some kind of link in that way, but they do seem to be quite forward thinking. Um, but yeah, it, it is an interesting development. It's not necessarily a surprise. I think we did talk about it in the summer when Fulham did their academy reshuffle and we saw Hugh Jennings move to a different role as head of football development. This seems to have given him more autonomy in terms of how he can try and, one thing of course is bridging that gap between the seniors and, and the 23s, but also in terms of sustaining Fulham's academy advantage i think uh, i think in the in his statement actually in, in his quotes he talks about maintaining and keeping and gaining a, a competitive advantage um which does become harder you know you think of some of the players that have come over into fulham's academy from europe like ziad lakesh or uh, he's currently been the 23s now marion rodak was another he arrived when he was 16 that avenue is not going to be there anymore because of the stipulations around signing under 18s now that the uk is out of European Union um so Fulham are gonna have to think differently and I think this is part of it um the idea of partnership with partnership clubs how they can use that to advantage both development of players and coaches uh, and I'd be really interesting to see if this is the first of a few more um because I think that's certainly something that we've seen with other clubs um like Sheffield United or got their one you know Man City is an obvious one um this idea of Groups. And I'm not saying that Fulham will end up in that sort of pattern, but this this would suggest something along those lines is what is how I would how I would see it. But interesting, really interesting, and obviously it'd be good to work out more of the nuts and bolts, which I'll be doing in the, the coming days to to really flesh out what this agreement means and whether we will see Fulham players go to Dundee or Fulham getting a good advantage at seeing some of these Dundee talents that come through. United. Dundee United. Yeah, I did. I made that mistake as well with a tweet. I realised that I it. Um, yeah. It's very important. It is really very important. important. It is critically important. Um, so. Would you like some Dundee United facts? Yes. Uh, some So I just like basic facts, but uh, I did not know that they are nicknamed the Terrors. I did know that they're nicknamed the Tangerines and the supporters are known as Arabs. Hmm. 
And their podcast is called the Dode Fox podcast. And we've reached out to the Dode Fox uh, to see if they're interested in a similar collaboration, you know, ideas. Maybe we could send uh, a a Fulhamish member or two on loan to the Dode Fox, um, see what they see, how they do it three months up there. Who would you send? Mm. I'd love to see. Cam Ramsey. I was about to say, I'd like to see what their, their reaction would be to a Cam Ramsey uh, five thoughts. Yeah. Cam Ramsey article on Dundee United nil, Hibernian two. That's what I'd like to see. They've actually already lost three ones to Hibs in the last month. So uh, uh, they're going to have to think of a new thing. Maybe we could do the away game. Yeah. But, and look, we'd be happy to have the, you know, some Dode Fox collaborators come on here. We haven't got anyone Scottish on Fulhamish. So maybe this is the chance that uh, we could, we can take up. Um, other than that, Peter, the other thing I wanted to talk about um, from what you wrote over the Christmas period was your piece on the Fulham women's team. Now we've talked about the current Fulham women's team, but this piece was more about the story of how Fulham's women's team broke through in the 2000s, became the first professional club in the UK. Um, it was driven by Mohamed Al-Fayed's money. It was ahead of its time. And I thought it's just a fascinating trip down memory lane of how Fulham was so ahead of their time with this team, too ahead of their time, as it turns out. Um, some fantastic players were in that team. We, of course, won uh, numerous trophies, in, including uh, the FA Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I want, just wanted to know what you found in this piece and what, what bits of it you found most interesting whilst researching. You know, what was an, an iconic time for Fulham? It was heady days in the Premiership. It was also heady days on the, on the women's team front. Yeah, I've really enjoyed putting this together. It's one I've been trying to do for a while. I think we sort of mentioned it every now and again on on the pod as well about this team because it was what what was mainly interesting is that a lot of people don't know how successful Fulham were uh, and the fact that Fulham had, uh, I think at the time, they were the first fully professional, 100% fully professional women's team in in Europe. Um, And it was just fascinating to see, one, how they sort of began that process, how they found players, how they used some connections through through Gota Huguenes, um, who I spoke to for the piece, and he was brilliant. Um, and certainly built this really incredibly strong team. Um, they were in the, I think, the third tier when they first turned fully professional and had to get promoted to top flight. But I think they got promoted. They, <laughs> they did that very quickly with some very, very large score lines. Um, but there were so many different elements to to what they did because they they basically had the same um, access to facilities, um, the same medical support, everything uh, as a men's team, which at the time was was pretty unheard of. Um, and it, as you say, it stems from Mohamed Al Fayed sensing an opportunity, um, and well, unheard of when I say unheard of in in the UK anyway. In the United States, it was much more uh, progressive at that point. But Al Fayed actually saw the World Cup in the US, and the story goes that that was part of it. But there was all might have been overplayed a bit. But there was he sensed an opportunity. He sensed that, you know, the FA were looking to potentially turn the league professional. Um and he wanted first mover advantage. He wanted Fulham to be in a strong position to be to be leading in that uh, in that area and 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 naturally the the business advantages that come with that too. But as the piece explores, it talks about why why Fulham why Al Fayed decided to pull the plug financially, um why the FA were not in a position to invest i mean that's that's still you get there's still element of element of debate around that but financially they were in a bit of a mess um i spoke to mark palios who's now chairman of Tranmere, but was chief executive at the fa at the time um 
And uh, yeah, it's it's honestly, it's a really, I really enjoyed speaking to Rachel Yankee and Katie Chapman, who went on to have such fantastic careers um, off the back of this, of their time at Fulham, where, as you say, Sammy, they won the FA Cup. They won, they won the top flight. They actually went into Europe when they, re- when they reverted to semi-professional. Um, so it was a really important time, but also one that, you, that did leave you feeling a good, a deep sense of uh, what might have been, you know, in, in different circumstances um, with other clubs taking the plunge. Um, there are other elements too in, in, in the sense of, you know, how some of the players felt that rather than everyone sort of being behind them, as some of them were, you know, there was an element of jealousy and, and just how that sort of translated and, and came out on the field. But in terms of the actual quality of the football, I think there's one really good quote that Rachel Yankee said, I think, and it, it, she basically said, um, it showed that if you support female athletes, you give them the right training facilities, the right meal times, the opportunity, the quality of coaching, um, you will get a good standard and you will get a good quality product to market. Um, and I think that was absolutely true. And it was just, it's just remarkable, really, that it took 15 years from when the FA initially, with, with that initial promise of, of a professional league, so actually having one um, took place. And as you say, Sammy, it leaves a question of uh, Fulham ahead of their time or did everyone else just not take the learning from it, really? Yeah, I always think that with the Fulham women's team and we mentioned it when we discussed the Fulham women's team, where they are now. And, and, and the, obviously there's big, great progress being made there, but they're still comparatively so far below where Fulham were, not just because they're not anywhere near the WSL, that Fulham were at the top of the game. They were Fulham were at the... Like, European levels of, of of the game. And Jack, you see the clubs now that, okay, yes, all the big six have, have a women's team that's in the WSL, but the likes of, of Reading, Reading who, yeah. Yeah, who, who have a WSL team, Fulham very much paved the way and then got none of the reward at the end of it. It feels like such a wasted opportunity when you look back, see where it was. And, and I've always said this with women's football. There is so much, regardless of the opportunity that's right that the game is shared, the marketing opportunity for Fulham had the money been continued and continued and continued. I can see why Alfire was like, I, I can't pump this for 20 years until it goes professional. And that's how long we'd have had to wait for that kind of investment to start making a return. But it just feels like a massive shame when you look back at it all. Yeah, I mean, you can you could probably say something similar for Doncaster Bells, right? Who were very much yeah. up there as well in uh, those times. And I remember watching those games, and Doncaster Bells felt like the opposition that that Fulham came up against a lot in in finals and and in terms of challenging for trophies and all of the above. So, I mean, I suppose it depends what you mean by reaping the rewards in terms of you know, Fulham won the treble, the quadruple, I think, at one point. Um, the treble one year. The, quadruple another year um there was plenty of you know things to celebrate and, and rewards had for the the football that was played and then the investment that was made um has that translated to now no I, I agree with you and obviously the women's game is is thankfully back up on the up and you know aggressively so and and really really much feels like it's it's moving in a direction it's still a you know a long way to go and a lot of, uh, of things to be done but it moves in the in the right direction and I think we're seeing that you know, kind of across the across the board. Um, look, will Fulham get back there? I very much hope so. Yes, it, you know, it, it it felt like maybe the plug was pulled a wee bit harsher than maybe some might have imagined. You know, you you put in the you know money and you go professional and you, you look at that and yes, you can understand why the the finance was was removed from that element of it, but that didn't need mean 
it didn't need to mean that everything had to completely go into the abyss, which it did feel like it did for a little while, right? And and it really did go back to back to square one. And, and Fulham have built this up again and, and all credit to them for doing so. And, and all credit to the foundation as well, who, you know, did so much work in in pushing this again. Um, but when you when you look at it and think maybe we didn't need to it didn't need to be zero or a hundred you know maybe there was a middle ground that could have been found during those kind of wilderness years that would have allowed Fulham to have something to build on that was a, a little bit you know higher up in the in in the pyramid that said you know we've seen all these articles we've seen Peter's articles and what they're trying to build and, and something sustainable that isn't necessarily the the whole flash in the pan that this perhaps felt a little bit like you know trying to build a, a foundation here that is something that can be built on for years and years to come that that comes with the right attitudes and the right you know development strategies and all of the above and maybe that in itself is a is a more worthwhile target and a worthwhile thing to have in in the bank and and so i hope that that kind of sustainability and and build through the divisions is something that we can sustain well, if you want to read that piece by Peter, there's also loads that went up over Christmas. There's his uh, club review from 2021. Also a piece about how Seri will be going to AFCON and the midfield shuffle uh, that will need to happen. If you want to read any of those pieces, go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Right. Let's look at Bristol City on Saturday. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Jack, how do you feel that Domingos Kina could be heading back to Watford? The the loan could be ending prematurely. Um, he'll go down in the likes of Chihi, Hosebed, the one-cap wonders for Fulham, who never quite lived up to the glorious potential that he's maybe they could have. Cap wonder. I think he's got three caps for Fulham. Thank you very much. He's uh, he's more Marcel Gekov than any of the above. <laughs> So we'll have less of that to begin with. Um, I'm sad that this hasn't worked out to me. It's, look, it is what it is. And, and ultimately, it's a it's a player who I think we all were, not all, but some of us were pretty excited about. I, I remember watching Keener at under-21 level and thinking he was excellent, especially for Portugal. Um, I said so here on here at the time. Um, but it clearly something isn't right because we've seen very little of him. He clearly hasn't stepped into the breach that Silva thought he was going to be able to. There were opportunities when Fabio Carvalho was injured for a month and a bit for him to play in what appears to be his kind of favoured central 10 role. Um, and yet we've seen almost nothing from Domingos Kina. So... Yeah, it's just one of those. I think we've got to go. It hasn't worked out. The you know the opportunity looked like it was a, a reasonable one in in some ways, but you know it, it hasn't hasn't worked. So yeah, am I sad it hasn't worked out? Yeah, sure. I, I think there's a player in there somewhere, but ultimately you've got to look at what the manager wants and what he understands from his team. And you, at the moment, it feels like he knows best. And and ultimately, Keener doesn't feel like he, he's fitted in. Yeah, Peter. For me, it always felt like a transfer that I thought can't see exactly where you fit into this team. If you feel like Fabio Carvalho is our number one choice in the 10, but Bobby Reed can play in the 10, Harry Wilson can play in the 10 if you really need. And of course, we know that in times gone by, Tom Kearney has also filled that spot. There's also ways that you can adapt the midfield if you had no number 10s. And we we saw that a few times with Chalaba Reed and, and, and Seri playing in, the same game. So I always did wonder when we signed Keener, like what gap do you fill? But also 
reading between the lines, it feels like there's been other factors as to why the loan hasn't really worked uh, at Fulham and slightly more personal issues from, from what I can gather. Yeah, it, um, it, it felt op- opportunistic at the time, didn't it? I mean, on, on deadline day, it's one that became available. And, you know, as Jack says, there's, there's certainly a player in there. I mean, he did very well. He did well at West Ham when he came through. Um, he chose to leave Chelsea, didn't he? Um, and he had interest from big clubs, and you don't you don't get that kind of interest um, on the back of nothing. So, but what but what has come about is he's just not been able to get games. Um, whether that be at Watford, uh, whether that be it was consistently at West Ham, or or and now clearly at, at Fulham. Um, and when you're at this age, it's it's really important that you're playing. And I think from his perspective, you all want to be playing. You need to play. You need to play games. Whether that's wherever that is. Um, so you can see why he he'd probably want to end it himself. I, I think we've we we haven't seen much of him. I mean, we those the appearances. I think there was one for the twenty threes as well. I think there were some alarm bells that started ringing when Silver started talking about he, him needing to work harder um, in training um, a couple of months back as well. So yeah, I mean, it's just one that's not worked out. And I guess with the flexibility of a loan, it's one you can just say, okay, well, you can go back and and find somewhere that might be a, a better fit, but. Clearly, there were good numbers in that number 10 area, number eight area of the pitch. And if he was to do well, he'd have to outshine some pretty decent professionals. And um, that's just not that's not happened. And um, looks likely now that Watford will find an alternative place for him. Yeah, let's look ahead then to the FA Cup on Saturday. We never actually discussed it on a podcast that this was maybe not the most inspiring draw of all time. Uh, a fellow championship club uh, away from home in the uh, in the third round, especially as there were some pretty tasty, fun options uh, that, that, that could come up in the third round. Uh, I've said this before on the podcast that I think Fulham are doomed forever to never get a fun FA Cup draw. Um, it feels like such a long time uh, since we ever had one and I'm struggling to think what the last fun one was off the top of my head. Um, but anyway, Bristol City at Ashton Gate is, there are worse places to go. Uh, Bristol's a nice city. It's just that we've already been there and it's not quite as exciting. Uh, and Peter, this is a game that neither team will be all that bothered about. I mentioned it on Monday's podcast that very difficult to know exactly how Silver plays this. You could forgive him for saying, I'm going to put all of the kids out and I'd rather be out because of the fixture congestion. But also, Fulham haven't played a game in so long. We need some fitness. We also need some confidence because we haven't won matches. Have we got any idea how Marcus Silva is going to play this? Uh, no, um, I agree, Sammy. I think it's uh, a really interesting game because one, <laughs> you would think it'd be a good opportunity for some youngsters to get minutes or for those who are on the fringes to get more minutes. But because Fulham, I mean, it'd be 18, 18 days between Sheffield United and, and the Bristol City game, uh, which is a really long time. And I'm sure that they will have done and they have done some inter-squad games just to try and keep that sharpness up because you can't really get it in any other way than than by playing matches. Um, so does Silva then go for a strong team to try and get some minutes in the tank and help build some momentum? Does he play youngsters? I mean, the, the other thing, of course, is that, as we said at the start of the pod, you know, Fulham probably don't really want to win this. I mean, you never really want to say that. You never want to sort of um, diminish any cup competition because a cup run would be fantastic, especially for, for a club that's doing well in the league and morale's good and you you, you feel like you can bloody a few noses but 
with the fixtures and the way they're laid out, um, you, you, you probably want to try and reduce um, the pile up in some way. And, and maybe that could sway it. Maybe that encourages Silver to play a slightly weakened team. Um, the flip side, of course, is that Middlesbrough are playing Mansfield and, and Middlesbrough is the uh, fixture Fulham have on the calendar for the, when the fourth round is scheduled. Um, now, Middlesbrough are probably going to win that game. Middlesbrough are in good form. They look like a new team under Chris Wilder. So even considering Fulham's predisposition to wanting to play or not, there's every chance the game will be postponed anyway because Borough progress. So uh, that aside, yeah, it's just it, that's the question really fundamentally is what's the best way to prepare for a really tight run of games? Is it get some of these players out early, get them back in the the rhythm as quickly as possible, or is it to do it slowly and and keep them keep them in reserve and then let them loose for for Reading? Jack, what would you do if you were Marcus Silva? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Which is why he's paid a lot more money than me. Um, the look. It, there's so much to consider here, right? There's so many different things going on that it, it kind of feels like either we're looking at, you know, you start to try and blood players. I mean, maybe what I would do is is maybe play half a first team, the players who feel like they need minutes. I'd love to get like Nat Chalabas some minutes. That's that's what I'd be, be looking at. I'd like to get Nat Chalabas some minutes. So it'd be great to get some minutes in the legs of, of Michael Hector and Alfie Mawson and Terence Congolo if he exists at this point. Um, you know, the, the players who are perhaps on the edges of the first team who haven't necessarily been able to crack into what has been a very settled side. Now, there are advantages to having a settled side, and I think that's massive. But we're looking here at a run of games where Fulham are going to have to rotate or we're going to burn ourselves out really, really aggressively. So can we get the players in that rotation up to speed? Now, Michael Hector stepped in for a couple of games, thought he looked good, right? He looked, looked impressive. And and that's something that we can we can hang on to. I think that's something we can we can kind of look towards when you when you put it in that context. Can we is Alfie Mawson able to get a few games here? Can we can we start to try and work him in rotation? Because when he's played, he's looked all right too, right? This is these are good problems to have in in so many ways. So if we're looking at these and we're looking at a Tosin and Reem and going, can you play every single game every three days for? a month and a half, I think the answer is probably no. Um, and, and therefore, it's good to have rotation options who you feel you can fall back on and it feels like there are minutes in the legs. Do you want players like Tom Kearney to be starting to run things again? Yes, I'd play TC. I'd play I'd play TC. I'd play Gazaniga. I'd play... I'd play surely, Mo- surely Moon is. Maybe, maybe. Um, I, I mean, if Jay Stansfield's back and, and firing, then I think there will be plenty of people who would suggest to you that Jay Stansfield might be a better rotation option if you're trying to change things up, and especially if you're going with two up front um, that, than Muniz is, because Muniz feels more like a rotation piece. And we spoke about this before the, the window, and we were talking about what would Fulham like to get in. I'd imagine it's a different profile of striker if we're going to bring anyone in in this window, because when you do it that way, you're looking at, and when we do go two up front, and when we did that against Sheffield United it looked like Mitrovic and Muniz were on top of each other in each other's way you know they were they were trying to play the same balls you need two strikers if you're going to play that who can dovetail and it doesn't feel like those two players are at the moment those players I actually think that if you're looking at this big run of games can you get Alexander Mitrovic you know into goal scoring form again yes that'd be great that that would be really useful um I'd probably start Micho take him off at 60 that's what I'd be 
probably looking at, but I'd bring Stansfield on, see if we can get him back into some first team football. It's a tricky one, obviously. Um, and I, I'm kind of working it on the fly here, but I think that's it. It's, you know, the core who you need to be firing, your Mitrovic's, your Kearney's, those players you get a run at. You probably give like someone like Harrison Reed, who's going to be used extensively over the course of this month, a little bit of a breather here. You know, you try and get him uh, you know, as, as fifth as possible for these next games, but, you know, don't play him when you don't need to. Um, uh, and, you know, try and work these players into some sort of form. The other thing to note, of course, is that, as Jack says, the team has been quite settled for quite a while, but after recent form... It's five games without a win, a couple of really poor performances by Fulham standards. The team's not that settled anymore. Well, it shouldn't be anyway. There are, there are question marks for most positions that have felt pretty stable. Um, so if you are Marco Silva, there may be an element of saying, well, <laughs> okay, without seeing on the vet, do you try and get those players back into form or do you then open the door to opportunities? You know, he seems like a coach who, if you have the shirt, you play to keep it. And if you're not playing to that standard, then it should offer, afford others an opportunity. So um, you would you would sense, or you would assume that particularly in training, there would be that sense of there should be an opportunity now because the team have hit a little stumble of form and a game like Bristol City could be a good opportunity for someone to play themselves into a more regular uh, contention. Yeah, I, I, my, my gut feeling is that Marcus Silva, and no football manager really, unless you are pretty brave, can afford to just throw a match or just, and, and, and I think in the situation that Fulham are in where we haven't won in a while, I think Marcus Silva will be thinking the fixture pile up is tomorrow's problem. I need to win a football match and get some confidence and get some minutes in legs yeah. whilst he will not go for a full 11. I think we can be pretty confident of that and he will probably use the five subs um, to their maximum effect. I would guess I just can't see Marcus Silva going, Oh, we don't need to win this because I think, we need rhythm and we need, we need fitness. And whilst yes, we've got Reading on Tuesday, Reading also have a game this weekend. Most of the teams we're facing have got a fixture pile up too. So whilst we will be knackered, so will most of our opponents. So that would be my guess on the situation. Um, one thing I wanted to just get both your thoughts on uh, is a transfer rumor that has been doing the rounds. Um, I can't say I know too much about him, although I know he played at West Brom uh, last season. Okay, Yukuslu, uh, Turkish midfielder, has been fairly extensively linked with us um, in the last few days. Um, Jack, uh, what do you know about Okay? And is he okay? It's not right, but it's okay. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I quite like him. Look, he hasn't played that much with Celta Vigo this season, although he did play, he dropped him to centre-back um, against Betis at the weekend in one of his first starts in the league. Might have been his actual first start in the league uh, this season and did okay out of position. Um, marshaled the Betis attack quite well um, and Betis have been free scoring this season. So um, got to give him some credit for that. Um, I liked him a lot at Trabzonspor. Uh, there was a lot of demand for him when he went to Celta Vigo. There was uh, some real, um, you know, big guns sort of talking about him. He, he ended up going to Celta where he did pretty well. Um, first two seasons, relatively ever present um, in the Celta sides that, that have done done okay, survived and, and managed to, to stay up in the Liga and kick on a little bit the season afterwards. Um, so, look, it's a bit of a strange one. Do I think that he is going to change the world or set it on fire? No. Is he a decent rotation player in this midfield 
partnership in the pivot with the ability to not only destroy and and be that kind of defensive player but also reasonably technically gifted yeah he's fine um you know you don't make 35 senior appearances for your country um in in a good turkey side to be perfectly honest i know the euros uh they were disappointing but over the course of qualification and qualification um for the world cup they've been pretty good so um you know, you, you don't just walk into that side if you're not a technically gifted player. And and I think he is a, a, a very good footballer. Um, but he is a little bit out of he's a little bit out of match practice. He hasn't played very much. He, like I say, did all right um at, at the weekend. Um but yeah, he's he's fine. Uh, I just just excited for the um, game against West Brom to be called the gunfighter, the OK Corral. <laughs> I mean, Peter, I just don't see where another DM fits into this team. We already have one in Nat Chalava who might get a few more minutes with Seri out this January, but he was struggling to get in. We have Tyrese Francois, who just seems to be the forgotten man after such an impressive um, start to the season, particularly the pre-season friendly against Charlton. I imagine it would be a loan. he he seems like a good player as Jack mentioned you don't play 30 times for Turkey unless you're half decent he also had a handful of appearances for West Brom and an all right West Brom as well at the back back end of of last season that were improved and he was one of the signings that improved them a bit not quite as much as I think was Dieng who they signed who up front who actually was a real handful anyway I digress I just don't really know where he fits in I mean this isn't a confirmed signing it just seems like quite a strong rumour stronger than just paper talk yeah I, in terms of funds window i'm expecting it to be quiet uh, unless they have to do something i think as we talked about before focus is more on those who could go out um i'm with you a little bit sammy in terms of midfield i think the only thing maybe is a case of whether things change um bear in mind this is a player looking to move as well he's looking for he's looking to find somewhere to go um I don't have any information either way on OK Ocuslu, so I can't really say with much certainty other than what I know from around Fulham at the moment. And that's not really an area that I've heard is that Fulham are particularly looking to strengthen. We, there are options in that position already. Um, would he be a good addition? I think Jack outlined, yeah, probably. Probably be a, a dec- an OK addition. Um, he's he's probably like a decent top half championship, bottom half premiership squad player. Yeah, yeah, um, and and that's point. fine. If that's what you bring in, that's OK. I don't think there's any Literally. objections to that. I just I wouldn't say it's a an urgent need. It doesn't seem that way anyway. But um, no, I, I I wonder. I wonder if it's just a case of whether an injury changes things. Um, obviously, Seri's away at the moment. Maybe looking at that squad. And I think if we're looking at Fulham in the first half of the season, perhaps there's a question to say that they haven't really controlled games in the way they would like. And if adding some bite that that your can can do, then then maybe there's there's, there's more reason to do so but again there's always the potential that Fulham are looking a bit longer and further ahead um, particularly with certain contract situations like Ceres for instance Ceres is up in in the summer so there is also that sense of looking ahead as well so um, that wouldn't surprise me if that's also the case Okay right we're going to take a break there and afterwards it's time for your emails 
part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Right. This mailbag is bulging and we've got so many emails to get through. I still don't think I'll clear the backlog today, but I promise that some point in the future I will get through the emails. Hello at fulhamish.co.uk. If you ever want to send us an email, we tend to read them out on the Thursday club, including the section this will catch on, which I shall save. Uh, first email is from Patrick Vanderpant, who said, hello, Fulhamish team. Love the pod. Been listening for a few years and never been in touch. But the mention of Hugh Grant in the latest podcast, combined with my boredom during 10 days of COVID isolation, has inspired me to get in touch with a story you might like. Uh, he went to the Summer World Cup in Russia in 2018. Uh, he had a big night in St. Petersburg. And the next morning they went to the Rasputin Museum. He said he saw a bloke coming up the stairs, turned to his mates and said, that bloke looks just like a Russian George Osborne. Then coming up the stairs just behind him was Hugh Grant and actually Hugh Grant. So the other bloke may have actually been George Osborne. Um, For some reason, they were in Russia together, uh, which he still finds confusing to this day. Anyway, he was feeling bold. So he went over to Hugh and said, sorry to bother you, but I just have one quick question. Are you a Fulham fan? He said he answered briefly that he was, but clearly didn't want to interact with me at all. So off he, George and their entourage went as quickly as possible. Was absolutely buzzing about this encounter for an hour or two until the hungover properly set in around lunchtime. Totally random, but thought you might like it. Keep up the good work from Paddy. Um, So confirmation, if we didn't know already, that Hugh Grant, definitely a Fulham fan. Yeah, I was pretty confident with that one. Pretty pretty confident. Didn't Didn't he like invest quite a lot of money to save the club in the 90s? Did he? Yeah. I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was also confirmation over the Christmas period that Daniel Radcliffe, definitely a Fulham fan. Again, one that I think we all knew, but he said it in an interview. Uh, Did, didn't he also people- like say that he fell out of love with football? Like quite strongly. Yeah, he, was, he basically was just like, I grew up supporting Fulham, but I actually don't like football. Yeah. So, the, which is basically the end of that, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, that's something, what is a guest. something <laughs> I can relate to, really, you know, <laughs> love Fulham. Sammy, you, run a, you run a football podcast. <laughs> no, I get that. But sometimes, sometimes I fall in and out of love with the game, but I love Fulham at the, at deep down. That is, that's what keeps me going. That's not what he said though. What he said was that I don't really like football <laughs> at all anymore. And therefore I don't really support anyone, but I did grow up supporting Fulham. That's what he said, basically. A little bit different. Uh, we've just had a couple of messages of, of appreciation to the podcast. Uh, Jason Lipscomb, uh, who said he moved to Germany three and a half years ago. Uh, he's only been to one game since moving there, uh, which is when Fulham beat Huddersfield 3-2. I think that was a couple of Januarys ago. He said, your podcast fills a big gap in my life as I miss the games, the bands with fans, etc. So thank you for all the hard work. Thank you for listening, Jason. Much appreciated. And a similar one. Sorry, From- sorry, Jason, that your banter is now uh, it used to get with fans that the game is now reduced to like Sammy and me chatting about back gunfight at the OK Corral. Look, it's, it's what he's got to work with. He's got limited options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beggars can't be choosers. He, really. He's moved to Germany. We're all he's got. Uh, and Karen Banks as well just said, I want to say a mass- massive thank you to all at Fulhamish. I don't go to many matches due to my health, but I do enjoy listening to the pods and videos to make me feel part of it. He, she also loves the articles. So uh, she's wished us a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year because uh, this was a little while ago. So th- thank you very much, um, Karen. And Happy uh, yeah, New Year, thank Karen. You. Happy New Year and thank you for listening. Right, this will catch on. Okay. <laughs> so this is a, 
section of the podcast that we started uh, about a month ago where people just quite often used to send us chant suggestions um, in the belief that maybe we would have some influence. We don't. None of the chants that have ever been sent in have ever been sung by anyone in the Hammersmith end. I've never heard them. Maybe one day it will happen, but probably not. But we're here to rate and slate what you come up with. Uh, the first one, again, Tosin Adrobio. A lot of them are for Tosin. It just seems to be a running theme here of get Tosin a song. Still none of them are caught on. Uh, this this one from John McCormack, though, uh, John McCormick, I should say, uh, he's just gone for um, Rockin' All Over the World by Status Quo, which I have heard quite a lot um, recently, which is, here we go, Tosinadarabayo. Yeah. I could hear it. Could, yeah. Jack, I'd, I'd give that an 8 out of 10. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And it's, you know what, it, it's, it fulfills the, um, I mean, obviously Arsenal have done it for, Sacker and Smith Row, but um, yeah. it does fulfill the not used for any of our other players category, which everyone, which is which is a big one for me. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a good one. Well done, John. Uh, next one, uh, I think, is a Tosin one as well. Uh, oh no, uh, it's not a Tosin one, which uh, you'll all be glad to hear. Um, I don't know this song, but uh, fellow. Um, pod host George Cooper who was also on the email definitely does know the song and he absolutely loved it uh, it's to the chorus of Time for Heroes by the Libertines oh good Jack yeah okay um, it goes well I don't know the song to this but he said did you see the stylish team at the cottage we score fu- goals for fun and our football's erotic oh we are the best of them all you know I cherish you Marco yeah I mean very good very good <laughs> not gonna catch on but very very good <laughs> big fan i need to go and listen to the song by the libertines because it just doesn't roll off the tongue but um yeah i'd l- i'd like to hear the, the, the hammersmith end saying the football's erotic send it um, to me if you want i'll sing it for you um i can uh i can whatsapp it to you now hang on yeah. let's do this let's do this live uh and it's live and it's live there you go right here we go did you see the stylish team at the cottage? We score goals for fun and our football's erotic. We are the best of them all. You know I cherish you, Marco. That's very good. That's good very singing good. as well. Yeah. This one from Paul Taylor is another Tosin song. He thinks that Rumour Has It by Adele would work well. The part where they sing Rumour Rumour can be adapted to Tosin Adarabayo. I'm not sure this one's going to catch on. I would, I would rate this. A, I would rate it a, a higher points for originality. I don't think I've heard a rumor has it song um, on the stands, but I can't see it catching on. <laughs> it's just, this is so good. This is the best thing ever. Rumor has it just exceptional, exceptional. So I can't, so I can't quite work out. Is it like, Tosin Adarabai. No, I no, I can't. I can't hear that one. Peter, uh, uh, I'll just ask you. Adele fan? No. What do you mean no? <laughs> I don't what? mind Adele. I wouldn't say I'm a fan. You didn't spend two hundred pounds to buy a ticket to go see her in Hyde Park then uh, in the summer. It sounds like you did. No, I didn't. But I know okay. that I know that I know some people <laughs> that did, and it was a, it was a hell of a lot of money. Uh, right, let's get on to the one that I'm really uh, excited to play because someone actually sent us a recording to review. Um, this is the next level up in uh, the this will catch on segment. So this is from Jimmy Hall. 
who sent us a little video clip of him singing the song that he's suggested. Um, and he's titled the email, This Will Catch On, in capital letters. Um, he says, you ask and you shall receive. I present <laughs> to you my masterpiece to the tune of Kokomo by the Beach Boys. And it's from Jimmy at the FFC fan on Twitter. And he says, P.S. I apologize for my singing. Love the pod. Keep it up. I also have a Scott Parker chant that I've written wonderfully. If you want to hear it, I think that one may be redundant, Jimmy. Um, so without further ado, I'll pass you over to Jimmy and his rendition uh, of Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Moonies. Amitro, Fabio Carvalho, Tom Kenny and Seri, next to Bobby Decky, Tosin Rodak, Reem Jedi, Tete as our fullback, Reed and Kibba, no, next to the Welsh Magnifico, led by Super Marco. And up the league we go, Mooners and Metro, Fabio Carvalho, Tom Kenny and Seri, next to Bobby Decky, Tosin Rodak, Reem Jedi, Tefe as our fullback, Reed and Kipper, no, next to the Welsh Magnifico, led by Super Marco. Unbelievable. Well done, Jimmy. Amazing. Full, full credit. That's excellent. Again, it's hundred percent never catching on, but that is unbelievable. That is unreal. It's too complicated for like pretty much everyone. That. The thing is, it started off unbelievably. The Moonies and Mitro, Fabio Carvalho, I really liked. And then by the end where it was like saying next to the Welsh Magnifico led by Super Marco was was getting a little bit tenuous. But I think that I think there's building blocks there that can be adapted. So if we can send that to maybe an esteemed songwriter, maybe if we can get example I like involved it. or something like that. I like it. Maybe it gives us a base, a frame to work around. Um, Jimmy, that is that? Yeah, I like it a lot. Jimmy, well done, mate. Let's get a nine from me. That is absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> I'll get. I'll give it. I'll give it an eight point five, just because it was such exceptional um, dedication to the cause. Feel free to sing the songs next time you send them in if you want to to reach Jimmy's level. I've got. I've. I've also got a. Um. I've got a submission to 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 put in here from from Mr. George Rossiter, which okay. I'm going to suggest is maybe the best song I've ever seen. It is. It's, it's right up there with Jimmy's. Maybe better. Okay. Um, and George didn't fancy singing it himself. No, so he sent it to me. So I'm going to sing it for you. It's, okay. Um, it's a Dennis Adoy song. We don't get many of these, right? Um, yeah. And it's to the tune of Estelle's American Boy. Um, <laughs> what? The rap or the song? Sing, or wait, is it the Estelle part or the Kanye part? It's the Estelle part, right. <laughs> okay. He goes, take me to the cottage and we'll see him play. He's been our best Belgian since Dembele. I really want to wear his glasses too. You can be my Dennis Adoy, my Dennis Adoy. <laughs> and that's a straight 10. That's a straight 10. <laughs> oh my God. The best Belgian at the cottage since Dembélé has got me. Oh my word. Some of these charts are just exceptional. Right. Thank you, George. That is definitely the um, the high note to end the podcast on. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. We'll send them in. We'll rate them. We'll slate them. And it becomes now a big part of the Thursday Club. Oh, I don't really know what to say after that, but thank you, Peter Ratzler. <laughs> thank you, Sammy.
Will you maybe make a song for us by the end of the season? Yeah, I'll have a think. I'll get to work. Okay. Just, you know, by May, if you could just, you know, come up with a song. <laughs> maybe get together with like some of the, the other, you know, think tanks at The Athletic. What, what's, uh, what's, what's most likely to catch on, etc. Adam Hurry must be uh, helpful in these, in these circumstances. I want to hear Mark Carey on backing vocals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. Happy New Year. All right, we'll be back after the Bristol City game, reviewing everything that happens and then looking ahead to the Reading game, our first league match in over three weeks, which is being played on the Tuesday. So have a good weekend. We'll see what happens in the cup. Come on, you whites. You whites.